0: I told Tom Schrader on Friday when we were talking that I was, uh, had the title for my message was A Critical Spirit, and uh, he said, are you for or against? He said, that's kind of a confusing title, and I said, well, obviously against. We're, we're going to uh, lead off on our Embrace Grace series called uh, the, church, the Grace and the Church today by talking, as we're going to see in a second here, about one of the most difficult issues when it comes to this whole idea of grace and the church. It's the idea of judging. and and having a critical spirit and how Christians can so easily fall into that. And so our creative arts ministry had a lot of fun with that and uh, decided to put together a little video tease uh, to get us thinking about this subject. So we're going to show that to you now, then I'm going to pray, and we're going to dive right in. So look up here on the screen. Imagine
1: the impact a church would have if each member was wholeheartedly and recklessly committed to criticism. Last week, it was too cold. This week, it's too hot.
0: Are they ever gonna get it right?
1: We can't, but you can. Next week, we will have a private booth just for you with your own personal climate control. That kid kicks my seat one more time. Why is he even here? Isn't that what we have Sunday school teachers for? It's true, children have no part in our services. We'll create a holding pen for kids, and you can enjoy a completely peaceful service free from distraction. Uh, All I can say is, certain people should not wear certain things. We couldn't agree more. And starting next week, a new dress code will be enforced. And who would be more perfect for deciding who is in violation than you? Is that George from work? His life is a mess. What's he doing in the church? Good question. His life is a mess, and we don't want you to feel uncomfortable. We will have security remove him immediately. I think that's the old man that cut me off in the parking lot. Old people. You're absolutely right. How old are you? 68. All right then, no one over 68 will be allowed on campus. And that's that. Yes, just imagine the impact the church would have.
0: All right. You guys ready to pray after that? I am. Let's bow. Father, it's good to laugh. It's good to uh, dive into a topic like this by imagining some scenarios that, though funny, are probably not too far from home with the way that some of us get sometimes in our spirit and so god we want to tackle that subject today as we tackle grace in the church we want to take a look at what jesus had to say about this whole idea of judging and the judgments that we make and so god i pray that as we do that and as we cover a, a whole bunch of scriptures and then park a little bit in matthew chapter 7 i pray god that there would not be one of us who doesn't walk out of here this morning with just a bit more grace under his or her belt Uh, ready to be the body of christ together and i pray that by the power of your holy spirit in the name of your son jesus amen well out of all the things that we're going to be looking at concerning grace and the church in this series that we're starting today i i gotta tell you and i've hinted to this already This is going to be the toughest. It's going to be the toughest. And it's the toughest for a number of reasons. The first being is that the Bible's words to us, and particularly Jesus' words about judging and not having a critical spirit, are straightforward, hard-hitting, and downright convicting. You're going to see that today. The Bible, what it has to say about judging, and particularly what Jesus had to say about this idea of judging and having a critical spirit, are really hard to digest I mean, think of some of the Scriptures that you know. Do not judge, lest you be judged. Do not condemn, or you, and you will not be condemned. By your own words, I will judge you. And even Jesus saying, I am now not judging anyone. I mean, He had some hard and difficult things to, to say. And yet the reality is, is that most Christians today simply get around Jesus' words by either ignoring them or thinking that they're saying something different. And we're going to see today, when we take an honest look at Jesus' words, they're saying what they're saying, and we're going to put together a theology of judgment and then ask ourselves, what does this mean for you and me today? And yet, as if this were not enough, the second reason that this is going to be a tough look for us is that most Christians today, now let's just be really honest about this, are really bad at not judging. We're really bad at not judging her. To put it more clearly, many Christians today have mastered the art of a critical spirit. And if you don't believe me, just ask anybody outside of the church if they think that evangelical Christians have a slight tendency at times to be judgmental, and most likely they're going to laugh. Because the chances are they have run into somebody over the years who claims to be a follower of Jesus and yet has offended them with a judgmental attitude or claim. And those we're going to see, there's a huge difference between making sound moral value judgments as opposed to a judgmental attitude that's filled with pride and a more holier than thou mindset. I would submit to you that Christians do both. We're going to see there's times that we make good, sound, moral value judgments, and I'm going to argue that we should, but that's a vastly different thing than having a judgmental attitude that lacks humility and a Jesus-like approach. I mean, let's be honest. Even the best of us struggle with this of having a critical spirit and being judgmental at times. I remember a few years back, uh, uh, when I was in Cleveland, a, a very dear friend from way back was struggling in her marriage, and she called me at the last moment on like a Friday when I was preparing my message and said, "I need to see you. It's an emergency. Would you meet me a half an hour away? We were about an hour apart, and meet me halfway in the middle, just to meet and talk about my marriage." And I dropped everything for this friend and I went and I met her and and we chatted about her marriage that was falling apart and how difficult it was and all of that. And at the end of our conversation, she said to me something that I smiled at. She said, you know, Jamie, the reason that I called you is because you're the most non-judgmental person that I know. And I thought two things when she said that to me. I thought, well, one, you might not know all that many people. And then I thought, secondly, you don't know me very well. I mean, I'm honored that you called me. And I love you, uh, but, but as, uh, if you knew me, you'd know that I struggle with being judgmental and having a critical spirit just like the next person. I, I think we all struggle with that. Pastor, parishioner, elder, non-elder, all of us struggle with being this way at times. And to be fair, when you think about it, it's kind of expected that Christians would be judgmental at times. I, I mean, many of us come from backgrounds in which we struggle desperately with sin, And then we got fed up with it and we repented and we came to faith in Jesus Christ and we've received His forgiveness and now we're on a journey, an uphill journey every day toward growth and becoming more like Christ in a world that quite frankly mitigates against this. And so it's sometimes easy for you and me to forget where we have come from and slip into a rather judgmental mindset that starts to get impatient with anybody and everybody who falls a bit short of the ideals that we now have. And yet as we're going to see, Jesus has something very different in mind for his followers. And yet before we get to this, there's one final reason that this is the toughest look at grace and the church for us. And this one is so critical, and that is that on top of Jesus' words being straightforward and convicting, and on top of the fact that most of us get a B plus at judging, what adds a crowning blow to all of this today is that most Christians, now dial into this, don't really know the Bible and what it has to say about God, judgment, and humanity In general it's true in other words most Christ followers today are confused about what judgment really is whether God is this way or not what the Bible says about the whole thing and hence where it fits into the life of a Christian and even our understanding of the world around us I hear people bicker back and forth all the time with opinions about God and justice Jesus and judgment this world and the next And quite frankly, much of what I hear seems to be born more out of personal reflection from watching CNN rather than it does a deep and rich understanding of what the Bible says about God, judgment, and this world and the next. And so what I want to do today is two things. I want to first spend about 10 minutes, really no more than 10 minutes, giving you a brief primer on theology of judgment. It's not going to feel very grace-filled as I do it, but it's going to be a very, very important foundation for you and I to understand Jesus' words And what you and I are to do with this whole thing of judging and judgment and a critical spirit. We're going to spend about 10 minutes doing a brief primer on a theology of judgment. And then we're going to take off from there and look at three things that Jesus tells us about judging and our personal lives. And so if you have an outline, pull it out right now. I want to go over quickly a theology of judgment. And there's four things that we need to understand that the Bible says about this thing called judging or judgment that are really important if we're ever going to flush this stuff out in our own lives. And the first thing is this. In a world built on justice, God is a judge. Did you know that? It's true. In a world that is built upon justice, God is in part a judge. And quite frankly, this should not surprise any of us because we all know that written into the DNA of this world is justice, right? A moral sense of right and wrong in the universe, and not just a moral sense of right and wrong, but even consequences for our right and wrong. We teach this to our children, our societies are set up this way. I mean, every one of us here today has a moral sense of right and wrong, though it might be different, and it's certainly different from culture to culture, but we all have a sense of right and wrong in that there should be consequences for one's actions in light of right and wrong. It's called justice, and we all believe in it, we always have, and we always will. And what you simply need to know is that it's no different with God. In fact, what the Bible makes clear is that this whole idea of justice actually stems from God. And so if you're about a Bible, open up to Psalm chapter 7, verse 11. I'm going to really test your Bible knowledge today. If you're somebody who brings your Bible and you flip along with me, it's going to feel like a sword drill this morning. Because we're going to look at a bunch of different Scriptures, but then we're going to bring it all together into Matthew 7 in just a few minutes but but we're trying to get a theology of judgment right now so psalm chapter 7 verse 11 if you don't have a bible look up here on the screen it says god is a righteous judge and a god who feels indignation every day (laughs) it couldn't be more clear god is a righteous judge simply telling us that he is somebody who plays the game of justice that's built into this world and yet because he's god he plays it perfectly and rightly and so god is into this thing called justice he made it he is somebody who feels anger when things go wrong and he feels happy when things go right and look at hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 when it talks about how this is applied to us it says and justice is appointed for a man to die once and after that comes judgment so the starting place is that justice has been written into the moral and relational fabric of this world we all know it god declares it and hence in part what you need to see is that god plays the role of a judge who someday is going to meet out justice for this world and our lives and in our sane moments we say it all sounds good and fair so far but notice that it says in the latter half of Psalm chapter seven, verse eleven, there, and some of you caught this, that God is a judge who feels indignation or anger every day. And some people are saying, well, "What's that about? You mean He's angry at what Hitler did, right? You mean He's angry at what Osama bin Laden did, right? He's angry at some of the things that go on from very evil people in this world." Well. Yes, he's angry about those things, but, but, he, but he's also angry about something that affects all of us. And so here's the second thing that we need to understand about God, judgment, and us. Look up here on the screen. And that is that due to sin and unbelief, all humanity, the Bible says, has been declared guilty. And so not only is God a judge, but to a certain degree, don't miss this, judgment has already been declared on this world. And because of our sin, the Bible says everybody has been found guilty and hence everybody is accountable before God. This is true. Uh, Look at how Jesus Himself made this very clear to us. Look at John chapter 3, verses 17 to 18. And I'm putting it there in the NASB. We almost always use the ESV here, but I like the NASB translation for clarity here. Jesus says, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through Him. He who believes in Him, the Son, is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So focus on that little phrase, he who does not believe has been judged already. I would submit to you that this is a key phrase. Because what it's telling us is that all of humanity stands judged already. But don't miss this, not because God has declared His final judgment on us, no, but because all humanity has sinned and our sin has led us into unbelief and it is this unbelief that has found us guilty and judged us. Do you see that there? That's very important. It's kind of like a kid who was caught stealing cookies from his mom's cookie jar. Mom doesn't need to declare a judgment. The guilt that the kid feels is written all over his face. The fact that the kid is hiding in his bedroom and the cookie crumbs lead there shows that the kid feels guilty and must now face the consequences. This is where we get that old phrase, guilty as sin, from. It's our sin, the Bible tells us, that has made us feel guilty before God. It's our sin that has brought judgment upon us. And so this is exactly what Romans chapter 5, verse 16 says when it says this, For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. The judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. Notice it doesn't say that the judgment arose because God in His impatience decided to be hard on us and judge us. No. It says that the judgment arose from our sin And that's what's brought the guilt and judgment at this time. And so it is sin leading to unbelief, leading to judgment, that has declared all humanity guilty and separated from Almighty God. And this is why, by the way, there's so much spiritual confusion and felt separation from God on this earth. In a very real way, folks, please see this. God is not the one who sends people to an eternal destiny apart from Himself. He says that our sin has already done this. It's the default state of all humanity in their rebellion against God, and it's fair and it's right in a world built upon justice. So, you got the fact that we have a world built upon justice in which God is a judge. And then inside of that, God says then that all humanity has been declared guilty because of their sin. It's the default state that we're in. And here's the third thing that we need to understand in our theology of judgment, and that is that for those who have believed in Jesus Christ, the Bible says there is now no judgment for eternal destiny. This is the good news. It's called the gospel. For those who have believed in Jesus Christ, there is no judgment for eternal destiny. So again, Jesus couldn't be more clear. Look at His words in John 3 again. He says, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through Him. Saved from their sin. So he who believes in Him is not judged. Jesus couldn't be more clear. For those who have come to faith and trust in Christ, they are given eternal life with Him and they do not come under the final judgment. And this only makes sense when you think about it, folks. For Christ came to forgive us of our sin, the same sin that has led to judgment and eternal separation from God. And so when somebody accepts Jesus Christ and his offer of forgiveness, the Bible makes clear there is no final judgment about our eternal destiny. It's the core of the gospel. But now let's be really clear about something. Because this is where, again, you have to understand all of the Bible and what it says about this thing called judgment. Though it is true that believers will not fall under final judgment, that's a judgment that has to do with eternal destiny. God still does, however, make judgments on the lives of His followers. Remember, justice still prevails. But now it's a judgment based on what we do in serving Him as followers of His Son, Jesus. This is really important for you and I to know today if we're ever going to get some traction with how we approach judgment. There is still a judgment for believers, so to speak. It's just that it's not a judgment of eternal destiny. It's going to be a judgment of a different kind. What are you talking about? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, and I think you'll see. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, unlike John 3, is talking to believers. John 3, Jesus is talking to the whole world, helping them understand the Gospel. 2 Corinthians 5 was written to a church, just like you and me, talking to believers. And look what it says. It says, For we must all, all believers, appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Interesting. Interesting. The book of Revelation will talk about the great white throne, a judgment seat before God in which all of humanity will appear someday and have to account for what they did with Jesus or not. That's a judgment on eternal destiny. But here it's telling us that there is a judgment seat of Christ that believers will appear before to give an account for what they did as followers of Jesus Christ in the power of His Holy Spirit. And to be sure that we're reading this right, in the original Greek language that the New Testament was written in, it actually uses a different Greek word to talk about the judgment seat here. Some of you know this, but it's the Greek word bimatos. So we call it the bima seat. It's a judgment for believers in which they're rewarded for deeds done in the power of the Spirit or not. And so there will be a judgment someday for you and me for what we did as followers of Jesus, but it won't be a judgment for eternal destiny. That thing's done already, but it will be one of rewards for the life that we lived as followers of Christ. And so in summary, and I know this is confusing for some of you, but Buy the CD and listen to it again. In summary, the Bible talks about three kinds of judgment when it comes to God. The judgment of all humanity that, is un, that we are under because of our sin. So the fact that some judgment has already happened because our sin has declared us guilty. And then there's going to be a final judgment. Secondly, what Revelation 20 calls the great, right, great white throne, in which those who have not believed in Jesus will have to go to and fall under. And then the Bema Seat in which every believer will face, in which we will be rewarded or not rewarded, and how we served and followed Christ on this earth. And so as we're going to see in a minute, God doesn't shy away from this topic at all. But before we put it all together, notice one last thing that the Bible tells us about God, judgment, and us. And this one's going to be so important with what you and I do with judgment today. And that is that someday, the saints will judge the world. It's true. It's true. The Bible clearly tells us that someday those who faithfully follow Jesus will be involved in judging the world. Look at Matthew 19, verse 28. It says, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, which either means heaven or for some of the millennial kingdom, but that's for another sermon, I truly say to you in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Paul adds even more clarity to this in 1 Corinthians chapter six, verse two, when he says, "Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world?" And so please notice, folks, this is very important for where we're going today. in our glorified state, in our glorified state, when believers in Jesus die, and we go to be in Christ with Christ in heaven, where there is no more sin, no more temptation, but perfect presence and knowledge of God, then and only then, God says believers will be in a position to regularly and responsibly partake in judgment. Are you seeing where I'm going with this? At that time, again, because justice is built into the framework of God's economy, followers of Christ will join Jesus in righteous and God-honoring judgment. So someday, the saints, followers of Christ, will partake in judgment, but it will be a day in which our judgments are going to be wholly true, wholly righteous, based on what 1 Corinthians 13 calls a complete face-to-face knowledge in which you and I can make consistent and godly judgments. And so more than anything else, folks, please see, judgment in God's economy is a very real thing. People that say to me, seekers, quite often, you know, hey, the Bible talks about love, but it doesn't talk about judgment and hell and things like that. I'm like, oh, well, should we go there or not? Because the reality is that it, is it does. I mean, the gospel is not a hellfire brimstone gospel. It's a gospel of grace as we're fleshing out in this series But because it's a gospel of grace, please realize grace doesn't become anything unless it's built upon judgment. Amen? Forgiveness doesn't become anything unless it's built upon sin. So you can never have the good without the bad. And the reality is is that this whole idea of grace doesn't mean anything if God never talks about judgment and things like that. And so God is a God of judgment, sin has made this a very stark reality. Jesus Christ has freed us from it. And yet believers still need to contend with it. We still are going to face a judgment based on our actions. And someday, the Bible says, we're even going to be in a position to completely and righteously judge ourselves. That's a very quick but highly biblical theology of judgment. And so with this understanding now, and you can probably see why it's so important that we declared all of this, we're now in a position to ask ourselves, so what are we supposed to do with this thing called judging? What are we supposed to do in our lives to protect ourselves against a critical spirit that we are so prone to? And in the time we have remaining, I want you to notice with me no less than three key things that God wants you and I to do about judging and having a critical spirit. And the first thing is we are to avoid it whenever possible. Man, if you don't hear anything else this morning hear this when it comes to judging and having this critical spirit we are to avoid it whenever possible how do we know that look at what jesus says i mentioned earlier we're going to park for a few minutes in front of matthew chapter 7 verses 1 to 2 and then we're going to add verse 3 here in a second look at matthew 7 verses 1 and 2 jesus is speaking you cannot escape what he's saying he says judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use it, it will be measured to you. You know, it's fascinating. That word judge here literally means to distinguish and to decide. It it carries with it a threefold sense that you critique something, you conclude something, and you condemn something. I know that's not something any of us struggle with, but just for academic sake, dial into that. that word judging there means that you make a critique, you look at something closely, and then you make a conclusion upon that which you are critiquing or that person that you're critiquing, and then you bring some sort of judgment or conclusion or usually condemnation upon that person. So you size up, you critique, and then you make a conclusion, and most of the time, it's a negative conclusion. That's why I loved the video that we showed earlier. Because in some kind of fun ways that we could laugh at all of us related to those things in the video didn't we I I do I, I, I told you I visited some churches over my break this summer and you know I was in the parking lot of this one church and we got in pretty quick but as we were leaving it took us like 20 minutes to get out of this parking lot And honestly, I'm I'm sitting there, and at first, the first five minutes, like, fine, I'm with my guests, we're talking. After the next five minutes, I'm like, you know, I'm going to get out of this parking lot, and about 15 minutes into it, I'm getting hungry, and I'm starting to change my mood a little bit. I finally looked at my my guest, who's now the chairman of our board here, and I said, is our parking lot like this? He started to laugh. He said, well, obviously, you're not in our parking lot very much, Jamie, on Sunday morning, because he said, It is. And they gave me some empathy on how quickly we can cop an attitude, we can critique, we can conclude, we can condemn just by being in a parking lot. Or my favorite one on the video there, because I think we all wrestle with this, it was that young guy It was Rustin, one of our interns there who played the person, who, who saw somebody in church who didn't think should be in church. Have you ever found yourself doing that? I, I, I mean, you see somebody in church that is like has no witness in the community, like they're the opposite of what maybe a church person should be and look like and act like, and you immediately find yourself what saying, what is he or she doing here? This is not an appropriate place for that person. I, I, I find that we all can fall into moments like that. We all can have a critical spirit well up within us. And what Jesus is saying here, please don't miss this, folks, is He's simply saying, don't do it. Avoid it whenever possible, because this kind of judging does no good to your current relationships. It devalues them, and it carries with it some spiritual ramifications with your relationship with God that's going to breed nothing but separation and judgment from Him. And again, hear me right, this is why our theology was so important a few minutes ago. If you're a believer and follower of Christ, then we know that the judgment being talked about here in Matthew 7 is obviously not a judgment of eternal destiny. I mean, Jesus is not saying here to you and me that if we judge other people today, we're going right to hell. That's not the application of this, because that would go against all the other scriptures, even in the gospel, that Jesus already has told us. But what he is saying is that Bema seat thing, that reward that you might hope to get someday, that well done, good and faithful servant, now don't miss this, is threatened every single time we allow a critical spirit to win the day. And folks, that should change our thinking I mean, we think giving in to some big sin like alcoholism or abandoning our spouse or maybe swearing up a storm or cheating on our income taxes, we think that those things might threaten our reward. But isn't it interesting that the things that Jesus usually reserved for challenging us about our reward were things of the heart, things of our mind, the attitude that we have toward each other? So here, he is linking this whole idea of a critical spirit with our reward in Christ. He's saying it's threatened whenever you cop an attitude toward another believer or toward this world. He's going to do the same thing next week when we talk about forgiveness. He's going to have the same tough words when it comes to forgiveness. Again, we think, well, whether I forgive somebody or not, what's the big deal? There's a couple of people I'll hate for the rest of my life. Jesus is going to take that one to task he's going to say you know what that, that, that's not really what followers of mine do and so don't miss here he's challenging us greatly to not have this critical spirit and, and folks given our understanding of God and of judgment and us from the whole Bible the logic behind Jesus's words here have to make sense they have to make sense Because we know that every person is ultimately accountable to God and Him alone for their lives, not us. And so it does us no good to judge them because we're not going to be a part of that judgment. I've said for years, uh, in a joking way, that the judgment seat of Christ is not going to be a small group event. I I mean, sometimes we respond like we're going to appear in little groups before God. And as far as I'm reading the Bible, that's not the way it's going to be. And so we do no good judging each other now because, quite frankly, at the end of the day the things that we're judging is between God and that other person. And probably even more humbling, and this is what always gets me when I'm tempted to judge, is that we know even as followers of Christ who still struggle with sin ourselves, when we judge another person, we're in great danger of revealing ourselves as hypocrites. Amen? We really do. I mean, again, I find it uncanny, but Christians are so good at judging each other and being really tough on each other's sin. And then I think to myself, I'm not trying, just just go with me on this. I think to myself, I wonder what would happen if I spent like a day or two with that believer who's so harshly judging another believer and I followed them around for an entire day or two. And that God might even allow me to get inside their thinking and get inside their feeling and see everything that they do think and feel for a 24-hour period. I wonder if they have anything That they might feel embarrassed about. I wonder if they have any besetting sin, maybe the sin of impatience or jealousy or covetousness or or anger. I wonder if they have any sin that though it might not be identical to the one sin that they're judging, in God's eyes it would be very similar. I wonder if they have any sin that they just don't advertise as much, and what a hypocrite they are for judging that other person. You see, when I think like that, folks, I apply it to me. When I'm so tempted to judge another believer, you know what, God, I don't know why, God always brings this to mind. God just says to me, "Uh, Jamie, be careful because uh, you got stuff too. Uh, Be really careful, Jamie, because though you're not struggling with alcoholism right now and you're not struggling with pornography and you're not struggling with leaving Kim and you're not struggling with alienating your kids greatly, though, though those might not be the things on your list, you got some other things that you don't advertise from the pulpit. you got some other things that you've struggled with for years that I'm chipping away at your character at. And aren't you thankful for my grace? And I say, yes, God. Aren't you thankful that there's heaven? I say, yes, God. Aren't you thankful that I'm sticking with you? And I say, yes, God. And God brings those things to my mind. And then I think, who am I to judge that other person? You see, this is exactly what Jesus is going to tell us in the next verse. Look at verse 3. I mean, again, you can't escape it. Right after he tells us not to judge, look at what he says in verse 3. He says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? In other words, you got issues too. And your issues are just as bad in God's eyes, if not worse. some of you would say well how could it be worse here's how because you're in denial because you don't even see him and you're not humble about him so you got this guy over here that's struggling greatly with living the christian life and you're casting all this judgment upon him and it's true his sins are more obvious and they might even be worse in society's eyes but at least he's honest about them. at least he's broken about them. at least he's trying At least he's coming to church, even though he might be a hypocrite. And yet you're over here looking so lily white, singing the hymns so wonderfully, going to five Bible studies a week, tithing 10% on the gross, feeling so good about your life. God says, you got a big old log in your eye. Man, get real. Notice the things in your life. Get honest about those, and you probably won't be judging this person over here. In fact, you just might end up loving him, coming alongside him saying, can I help you? Can we grow together? Because you know what? It doesn't look like it, but I got issues too. And and i just love to journey with you. And maybe we become more righteous together. Maybe we can journey together and become more like God wants us to be. It's grace and the church. And it begins by avoiding this critical spirit. Paul says in Romans 2, verse 1, something very similar. He says, therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges... For in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself because you the judge practice the very same things <laughs> that should zing us you who judge you practice the same things and i know how some of you think you think no nah, i don't practice the same things i just practice maybe other things well duh that's the point by same things he doesn't mean identical He just means the same sinful, stuck, can't get out of this, it's been with me for 10 years, pattern of behavior. And so Jesus says when it comes to judging, avoid it whenever you can. Now, having made this clear, I know how some of us think, because I think exactly the same way. And if I was listening to my own sermon right now, and I was up to this point, and somebody said, well, avoid judgment, judging whenever possible, I would respond like this. I'd say, yes, I get that. But gosh, there's times where I do have to make judgments in this world, right? I mean, you say, Jamie, avoid it whenever possible, but there's times when it's not possible. So, so again, to go back to the, the uh, situation I was in with my friend who called me uh, years ago to come meet her because her marriage was falling apart, and then I, she said I was the most non-judgmental person she knew. know. You know what's fascinating about that is I met with her for two hours, and as we unpacked her marriage and her culpability and his culpability and the effect on the kids and all the stuff going on and the decisions that she was going to make, I, I realized that I was passing like judgment after judgment after judgment after judgment uh, upon the situation that she was in. In other words, I was saying, well, I don't think you should do that. I think you should do this. I know you want to do this, but I think that would be sinful and wrong, and that's going to hurt things in the long run. I think you need to do this. Hey, let's pray about this. I, I mean, in two hours, I was like, passion, all these judgments upon the situation. Then she looks at me and says, "You're the most non-judgmental person in the world." And I think to myself, "Well, how can that be? I mean, how in the world can can, can we be non-judgmental in one sense, but then called upon to have to make judgments all the time?" in another sense and and here's what i've learned over the years and it's the second thing that jesus teaches us and that is that when you do make judgments because we're going to have to at times and i'm talking about judgments not just about things but even people do so with wisdom depth and humility and that will take you far so in one sense we avoid it whenever possible But let's all be real. We know there are times when it's not possible, when we're called on to make value judgments, moral judgments, even people judgments. And when that happens, the Bible says do so with wisdom, depth, and humility. I I love it. At one point in Jesus's ministry, he was kind of mad and frustrated. Again, that indignation stuff with the people. He was frustrated that they didn't get his teaching as well as what was going on with the Jewish leaders and trying to kill him. And the people were all over the map and their opinions of Him. Some thought He was the most brilliant man they'd ever met. Others thought He was demon-possessed. And so listen to what Jesus says right at this point where the opinions are going all over the map. He says in John chapter 7, verse 24, He says, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. I love that phrase. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment judgment isn't that interesting i mean dial in this folks the same guy in the Sermon of the mount said do not judge lest you be judged all of a sudden turns around using the same word greek word krino and says do not judge by appearances but judge with right judgment so, so somebody who tells you you should never judge isn't reading all of the bible <laughs> we need to avoid it whenever possible but let's be realistic in a fallen world we got to make judgments all the time about things and yet jesus says when you do that do so with right judgment what does that word right mean i would argue it means judgment that has depth not a shallow understanding depth about love and grace and truth and righteousness Uh, depth that knows his word depth that has experience with people depth that has spent a lot of time with god in prayer it's judgment that has depth it's judgment that is true and wise and it's judgment that is humble just like jesus Jesus himself said, the Son of Man is humble. He's meek. And so isn't it interesting that later on, uh, when one of Jesus' closest followers was asked a grace question by Jesus, basically asked him that if a loan officer forgave a debt of $1,000 and another loan officer forgave a debt of $500, uh, which Would the person who owed money be more grateful to? Peter answered this way in Luke 7, verse 43. It says, Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And it's interesting. Jesus then says, You have judged rightly. You've judged rightly. In other words, you've critiqued, you've concluded, but you've not condemned. You've judged in a way that has wisdom, depth, and humility. And all I know is is that if Christians would have that kind of judgment, the kind of judgment in which we use death and wisdom and humility, I don't think we'd be accused of being judgmental all that often. And my guess is our reward in glory would be greater. It's a great story that Jay Kessler, Christian leader here in America, the uh, one of the guys who headed had up Youth for Christ and then became president of Taylor University for years, once told of a man that was in his church in Indiana. And this gentleman that was in Kessler's church won the Outstanding Trooper Award for the Indiana State Troopers one year, which was the highest award given uh, in Indiana for Indiana State Troopers. And Kessler, when he was talking to this man at church one day, said, you know, when I was at your ceremony, the governor said that in 15 years as a trooper, you never once roughed up a drunk and you never once used excessive force on anyone. And he said, how can you be a state trooper in Indiana dealing with the dregs of society and get a comment like that and have a reputation like that? And the trooper responded in a profound way. He said, well, I guess two things, Jay. First, if I'm called to break up a fight at a tavern, I never say to myself, there's a drunk. I always say to myself, there's a man, someone's husband, someone's son, someone's neighbor who got drunk. So I always try to think of him as a man, not a crime. He said, secondly, the Bible says that a soft answer turns away wrath. And so for years, whenever I walk up to the window of an automobile, I always speak a little lower than the person that I'm speaking to. And Kessler said those two things, won him the Outstanding Trooper of the Year Award. When I read that a while back, I thought to myself, what would this world be like if every Christ follower just did those two things consistently in his or her interactions with their family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, service providers, and anybody else that they would come in contact with. What would happen if every Christ follower, in a non-judgmental way, was to see every human being not as the sum of their sinful behavior, but as a creation of God? Somebody's husband, somebody's son, somebody's neighbor and then respond behaviorally when threatened by speaking a little lower than the other person was speaking. Again, a kind answer turns away wrath. I'm telling you, if if Christians from Scottsdale Bible Church did that, this valley would be turned upside down. This valley would see this place as truly a place of grace. God says avoid judging whenever possible. He says it's only going to cause you spiritual and relational trouble, but knowing that it is part of the world we live in, when you do so, do so with wisdom, Depth and humility, and lastly, and with this we're done. And this is going to take some of you by surprise, but I think this is what the Bible says. It tells us to never judge those outside the fold. Isn't that interesting? Never judge those outside the fold. Now I know this is a strange one to our ears. So what do we mean by never judge those outside the fold, and why? I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter five, last verse here this morning. And you'll see why I say that this is one of the principles that the Scriptures give us. First Corinthians 5, verses 9 to 10, and then 12 through 13. Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter to not associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idol- idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. For what do I have to do with judging outsiders? God judges those outside." So, so this goes back to our original theology of judgment. Uh, what Paul is saying here is a very practical way is that those who have not yet come to Christ, those who are living by the world's standards, those who, who aren't in church every Sunday and are part of the fold, a part of the community of faith, they already have a judgment upon them. It's that judgment of sin. They already feel guilty, or at least should, for, for the life that they are living. They're already... Uh, facing an eternal destiny without Christ. And and so if we have anything to say to them, it should be words of life, words of truth, words of grace, words of instruction. Kind of like a thirsty man, here's how you find water, not, gee, are you thirsty? Why are you thirsty? You know why you're thirsty? Let me tell you why you're thirsty. I mean, that's the way many Christians tend to respond. And what Paul is saying here, don't go into that kind of judgment. You don't judge the outside people like that. Someday that judgment will come from God. Someday even saints in their perfected state will make judgments like that. But, but right now, your judgment, and this is for a whole other sermon, your judgment is reserved for in-house stuff. And there is a sense in which churches that are elder-run and have good godly elders that will make discernment sometime on how to deal with people in tough love that are are struggling in the church. I mean, that's a whole other sermon, but that's what Paul's talking about here. Uh, But when explaining this to the church, he's saying, in fact, he's bending over backwards to make the point that, that even that kind of judgment is never to be done on those outside the fold who have not yet come to faith in Christ. Again, the logic being they've already been judged by their sin and separation from God. And again, all I can say is what a different mindset the world would have toward us as Christians if we had this approach to them more often. And again, don't hear me wrong. I am not saying that in a free country where we have a voice that has been founded upon Judeo-Christian values, that we should not communicate our values and even make judgments, moral judgments on what's happening in society. I'm not suggesting that. I think we should do that. We need to do that with wisdom, depth, and humility. And that's far different doing that than making personal, individual judgments on all the individuals involved in those things. Do you see the difference? So I can make a judgment on where society is going and even communicate in love and truth that judgment. But that's far different than then saying, you know, by the way, so-and-so, that guy in CNN, he's going to hell. We've all heard Christians do that. And that's a far different thing. Because all of a sudden there, I've crossed a line where I'm now judging those outside the fold. And again, if I'm reading the Bible right, we're not to do that. That's between them and God. And quite frankly, that's a judgment that unless something happens, has already been made. Uh, D.A. Carson is probably one of the foremost conservative scholars from a Christian evangelical standpoint alive today. He teaches at Trinity Seminary. He's written tons of books. He's a very distinguished and refined gentleman. And a few years back, he was um, on a vacation, some R&R with a good friend of his, and they decided to go down to the beach. And when they got to the beach there, there was like what he calls a horde of high school kids celebrating graduation with lots of beer, loud music, and as he says, public displays of affection. Listen to what he writes. He says, deeply disappointed that my evening's relaxation was being shattered by a raucous party. I was getting ready to cover my disappointment by moral outrage. I turned to Ken, my friend, to unload the venom, but stopped as I saw him staring at the scene with a faraway look in his eyes. And then he said rather softly, High school kids, what a mission field. Father, I thank you that when it comes to this idea of judging, you're, you're rather clear. There's a lot of stuff to wade through, but you're rather clear. In fact, you're very clear. That, that Lord, someday there will be a judgment to come, and we need to pray and make sure that Everybody has a chance to hear about Jesus Christ and respond to him because we sure want their eternal destiny to be with him. And Lord, even now in the church, we have to make judgments all the time about what is true, what is not true, what is right, what is not right. And though we use your word as a guide, Father, it's, it's still a tough, tough road for us to follow. And so God, my prayer for Scotts of Bible Church is that we'd apply the three things that we heard today, that we'd avoid it whenever possible, God, may your Spirit who fills us give us wisdom and depth and humility so that if ever we make judgments, it won't feel judgmental, but it will feel more like help. And Father, too, help us to reserve our judgment for things that that matter. God, I uh, pray that as you make Scottsdale Bible Church more and more a place of grace, that the grace we have would make this feel very safe for those of us here as well as a safe place for those out there that have yet to find Jesus. So receive this final song and offering, we pray, in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.